I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hello. Hi, everyone. I hope all is well. On this week's episode, I'm speaking with Amalia and Grace of Echo View Fiber Mill. Echo View is a spinning mill, knitting operation, and design house based in Weaverville, North Carolina. They make exceptionally high quality and beautifully designed home goods, accessories, and craft knitting and weaving yarns using natural fibers, such as wool, alpaca, silk, mohair, and organic cotton. They also support local farmers, such as Jessica Sanchez of Rusted Earth Farm, who was featured in episode 92. Hey, Grace. Hey, Amalia. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Can you start out by introducing yourself and the roles you play at Echo View Fiber Mill? Yeah. Um, so my name is Amalia, and I'm the production manager at Echo View Fiber Mill. I've been there for about five years now, and some of the things I do is um, come up with new blends for the yarn, um, purchasing alpaca and wool from small farms, and making sure that all the projects on the mill floor are running smoothly. Um, and I am the creative director at EchoView, which is sort of a broad term that covers a lot of different things. I try to make sure that EchoView kind of has a cohesive voice and and visual presence that's in line with our um, mission and vision and values and identity as a company that's really authentic to who we are and represents our values. So that means that like stuff on the website and social media um, and then new product design direction, that's kind of what I, I focus on. Uh, and I've been with EchoView since 2016. Can you give us a bit of background of EchoView Fiber Mill and what was the inspiration behind starting the project? Yeah, so um, our boss and the mill's founder, Julie Jensen, has a really interesting background and history as a, as a lawyer. She's worked for the Library of Congress. She has had a really amazing career that did not have to do with running a manufacturing mill. <laughs> but um, she and... I think 2005 bought a farm here in Appalachia in Western North Carolina and began to look at agriculture in the area and sustainability and the use of natural fiber animals as a way to sort of um, take old farm space within Western North Carolina stuff that would have traditionally maybe been used to grow tobacco um, and how you could look at farming other um, crops or even, you, you know, using fiber animals to farm land um, and sort of how influential and helpful fiber can be within a community. Um, and so as she um, kind of got going through that farming process and started to have um, alpaca and mohair goats on the farm, she began to see the need for a place to get those fibers processed. 
um, especially with alpaca, because a lot of people actually do farm alpaca fiber in America, but there aren't that many places necessarily for it to get processed all the way into yarn. So that's where the inspiration for EchoView fiber mill came from. And, you know, her own research led her to, you know, look at sustainability within the textile industry. So that's kind of where she wanted to see EchoView move towards as a as a fiber mill. Um, so she built it. And um, originally EchoView was a place where, as Amali said, small farmers could come and get their fiber process all the way into yarn. Um, and I think a big part of, you know, where Amali and I have been with EchoView through its journey is watching it transition from um, just a place that processes fiber for farmers that then goes back to the farmers that then they sell it um, and instead becoming a purchaser of fiber and de developing our own product line that then gets sold to stores um, as more of an outlet for fiber as opposed to necessarily putting the farmer in the position of both farmer and salesperson. Um, hmm. So... Julie's um, sort of business evolution has been really interesting. And, you know, during, through that process, um, you know, it's been a really long time on the farm there. She made the decision to sell the farm and um, not continue to breed farm uh, fiber animals since we had managed to really develop such a great supply chain for local fiber, thanks to largely the work of Amalia. Um, we, we didn't need the far, the fiber directly coming from the farm, um, anymore. And Julie's family all lives in New York at this point. Her boys have grown up and kind of gone off to college. And, um, yeah, she made the decision to just focus on the mill, um, instead of both businesses. So we're really grateful to all of the years that the farm animals were there at the mill, but, um, we're excited to actually even have more of a need to like source from other local farmers as well. That's a very admirable and inspiring story. Thank you for sharing that. Can you kind of talk about the type of work that you do at Echo View Fiber Mill? Like what types of services do you offer to farmers and how are you able to collaborate with them to create products for your line? So, um, when I first started working at EchoView, I would go to so many alpaca shows. So many. I think I was gone like every weekend for months. And um, I started talking to a lot of alpaca farmers where we were processing and everything. But a lot of people were saying, yeah, I have so much alpaca fleece in my barn. And so I heard like, a few people were burning it or just throwing it away. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 this is really good fiber. Let's, you know, we started playing with the idea of purchasing it and using it in our own collections. Um, so what we do is I, I work with um, quite a number of small farms and they'll send me samples and I test the fiber them on our off to tester and it kind of gives me um, 
just the overall quality of the fleas and um, like the micron count, uh, what I should blend it with really by looking at these numbers. And so the farmer, they will receive a copy of this and they'll even label each of their alpacas. Like I know it's really funny because I have gotten to know all of these alpacas over the years where I remember their names and I can look back and see like how their fleece is doing over the years. So that's really helpful for the farmers to know. Um, so I, we purchased them and I, I've started to create a system where we know exactly what farm each of our skeins come, comes from. So we, and I also have a blog post on our website where I, you can check out all the farms that we work with and, um, you can, it's, they have pictures of some of their animals. So it's really fun. Uh, also, another aspect of the business is we do process for farmers for their own own fleas. So they'll send it to us and we'll take it all the way up to roving. Um, so we'll wash it, pick it, cart it, and then that gets sent back to them where they can use it for spinning or felting or just selling roving because there are, there are a lot of spinners out there um, who really appreciate like good quality alpaca fleece um, and wool too. Um, so, yeah. That sounds amazing. We've actually had a couple of the farmers that you work with on our podcast. Um, we had her, I, I'm trying to remember. Oh, Rusted Earth Farm. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah we actually <laughs> had her on the podcast a few weeks ago. Oh, uh, her fleece is at the mill right now. So, yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I'm also really interested in the community in North Carolina, because I've noticed there's quite a few fiber farmers and fiber folks that are living in the area. Um, we also spoke with the North Carolina textile district as well. And so I'm really interested in learning about what it's like to be a meal in, in this sort of climate where the American textile industry you know, maybe years ago was more failing and now it's kind of coming up, but it's moving in the direction of artisanally made goods and products. Can you kind of talk about where you all stand within that 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 narrative of, of textiles and mill work in the American textile industry? Yeah, um, I think EcoView is in kind of a unique space within that sort of spectrum because we're both a manufacturer and we're also um, a retailer and a, and a brand. So it sort of puts a lot of different things under one umbrella for us um, as opposed to necessarily just being like, for instance, we work with what mills are left as much as we can, especially for natural fibers. Um, if we need to get something dyed or let's say since we have a knitting machine, some of our yarn, um, is too fine for us to really spend, uh, spin and scale. So we work with, uh, other mills that spin, um, wool or cotton or, um, tensile fiber that are, are domestic. And then we work with another mill. Amalia works with them 
um, Meridian, they, they're a dye house. So we really try to put together that supply chain as locally as we can. And a lot of that does end up being in North Carolina, um, or South Carolina or Georgia, um, because that's sort of what's a lot of what's left, um, within the textile industry is, is in our area. But EcoView is definitely different in that it was built recently. It was built, you know, with sustainability first, um, in mind. So sometimes we hope <laughs> that it could be a model for moving forward. Um, mm. I think as the American textile industry does rebuild itself, it's really cool to watch how the new players are looking at what model they're they're moving forward with so carefully and i think that's why the carolina textile district is so inspiring especially um molly hem street and uh, opportunity threads it's like a worker-owned sewing cooperative um they're just it's so neat to see somebody who's just like rethinking something and, and moving forward and saying well let's do this right if we're going to do this here let's let's do it right this time you know let's make this equitable let's make this sustainable and um echo view really tries to do the same so yeah amaya's done a really amazing job with trying to make sure that the manufacturing aspect of echo view isn't just something where people clock in clock out and feel like I don't know. Molly, do, you probably speak yeah. to it better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, you know, we, we have, we work with so many creative people and like my background isn't in manufacturing or production or anything like that. I went to art school for textiles. And so I just, I can't be at a machine for eight hours a day and just listening to my podcast over and over again. I need something more. Um, so, you know, the, the people who work in the mill, we make sure that they have other projects to do too. Um, like, uh, Neil, he does the carding and pin drafting and washing, and he does some of our natural dyeing too. Um, and for example, Alicia, our spinner, She's an incredible knitter. Um, she uh, weaves some. And so we will ask her to like knit some samples with our yarn for the store. She also does like the mill membership website. So we really want to make it so all the employees feel like that we are a team and we do need to work together as a team. And that doesn't mean, okay, you come in, you clock in, you clock out and that's it. You know, we, we really want it to, it's, we want, we want it to feel like an well, enriching experience yeah. as opposed to like, yeah, exactly. I don't know, situations where I've done production in the past where it kind of feels like your value as a human being is about less than maybe it really should should feel. I don't know if that makes any sense, mm. but it's kind of like the traditional industrial worker model where it's like they almost treat people like machines and you've kind of 
added, um, you've created an environment at Echo View Fiber Mill that really humanizes the process. Yeah, and I think that if we want to see production within textiles coming back to America as a whole, we have to, the human element has to be a part of that because I think that's part of the reason why, you know, you saw those jobs be exported in the first place. Um, they were, they're undervalued. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to hear you all talk about sustainability. And I've read a lot about the ways in which you've incorporated a sustainable model into your mill. And I read that you are the first gold lead certified fiber mill in the U.S. And I was wondering if you could explain to our listeners what that means and how you all went about doing that. Um, yeah, so we... Um... Gold lead certified means we're a green company, basically. Um, so everything, every aspect of the building is sustainable. So even like we have solar panels, um, down to the flooring. I think the, the floors are bamboo. Yeah. I think it's, it's also, uh, inherent in the design of the building as well, not just about like the materials as much. I mean, that's a big part of it, everything down to like the very last light bulb. But the building is also meant to be sustainable in terms of its, its use and its functionality as a space. And so there are all these windows throughout the space. It's really bright. Like you can have the lights off and still do your work. Um, if it's, the daytime so yeah. it's a light harvest we have space. we have plants out on the mill floor um it's when i tell people i work at a mill they have it in their head like oh no like that's not good i'm like no no no, no. it's it's a beautiful <laughs> yeah. space it we have yeah. it's great <laughs> it's like so. a very futuristic feeling space where sometimes people come customers come in and they're they say, oh, I drove by a couple of times because I was looking for this old brick building. Um, I'm from Rhode Island where there are a lot of old brick mills, which is, they're mm. still also quite beautiful. Lots of windows, but, um, you know, a little different than, than the way that Echo View looks and feels and how the building was designed to be a really sustainable place. Um, you know, all these little aspects considered about like, the comfort and the, the lifestyle and the, the livelihood of the people within the space. Um, you know, you can spend like a whole day in the fiber mill working and not necessarily like at the end of the business day, right? You go outside and you feel air on your face. And that's the first time you realize, Oh, I've been inside all day as opposed to feeling cause there's never like a sense of light deprivation, if that makes any sense. It's, mm. it's like, how can, yeah. um, I don't know. And I don't know. My first job out of college, I worked in someone's basement sewing for two years and our windows were like, you had to stand on your tiptoes to look out of them. <laughs> there was no wow. natural light. So I think I really, really appreciate that aspect of echo view is just like not feeling like you, you know, don't have access to light it's it's a big deal 
Yeah, it makes a huge difference when you are working with machinery to have that element of nature to help you sort of stay, I guess, grounded when doing work that requires so much um, repetitive movement and repetitive like thinking, I guess. I'm also really interested because you mentioned before about the different machines that you have as far as like knitting um, and spinning. Can you kind of talk about what kind of machines you have in your mill and what types of yarns and and things that you create? Yeah, um, so we have so in the beginning when we receive the fleece, it is right off the animal like just in a bag sent to us not it's some are cleaner than others um so (laughs) we will start with with tumbling it and that is this uh like this big I don't know it it's open on the sides and there are like metal spikes on the inside so it kind of breaks up that fiber so it turns the fiber knocks out any sand dirt um anything that you don't want in your yarn that would come from a farm (laughs) um so from there we will wash it and we use a very mild detergent so we don't strip the fibers you kind of think of it like like your hair um when you use a shampoo i have very curly hair so I've, ex- I've used all sorts of shampoos. <laughs> so I kind of think about it with, um, uh, with that alpaca and the wool where you don't want to strip these fibers. Um, so it's a very mild detergent. We wash that, we dry it, and then we pick it. So up to this point, we will wash alpaca and wool separately. Um, cause it has to be different temperatures. And then when we pick it, we open up those fibers and we blend um, the fibers together. So if we're doing, we do uh, an alpaca wool blend. We have another line, Lapidary, where it's merino and tinsel. So we'll blend it there. Uh, we have 100% alpaca. And we have a another yarn, our ranger yarn, where it's merino and rambouillet mixed in. So... The picker opens up that fiber. It's nice and fluffy. Um, some people would just use that as stuffing for pillows. And from there, we cart it. So it goes through these rollers with tiny little bristles all over them, and it aligns the fibers and gets it nice and uniform. So that comes out in sliver or or roving, you usually see it as. Um, and then... From there, we will pin draft it where we align the fibers even more. And so it just runs through the pin drafter and it goes through combs and organizes the fiber, aligns it even more and um, gets it to the correct weight that we need it to be for spinning. So if it's a very fine yarn, we'll have to make it lighter weight. If it's a heavier yarn, it has to be a little bit heavier. And then from there, it gets spun. So we have a few different spinning machines. Um, We have three spinning frames for hand knitting yarns. So it would be like a fingering to a bulky. 
And then we have another two other machines where we will do a pencil roving on one and we call it ropen, R-O-P-E-N. And that's where our Haley yarn is made, which is a blend of alpaca, merino, and mohair. So what that roving frame for the ropen, what that does, it actually gets it ready to be spun even finer. So it goes to another machine where it will be spun almost down to like a thread, almost a very, very fine, fine um, yarn. And then we'll ply it, steam it, and skein it. And then it goes to its new home. <laughs> so so it's a lot of um, different, you know, it seems like a there's a lot of different processes. And there's, mm-hmm. there could be some extra just depending on the quality of the wool or alpaca. Um, but it's, you know, we have a small team. And out on the mill floor, and we all kind of know how to use each of those machines. So, you know, somebody who's washing the wool in the beginning could also be spinning it at the end. So it's really cool to see it from start to finish, all in the same under the same roof. Um, Molly, you also have the the little lamb lamb knitters. That's how you make the lanyard yarn. Oh yeah, yeah. We have this um two lamb knitting machines and they are usually used for like shoelaces so we'll take cotton and it gets knitted into our lanyard yarn where it kind of looks like a shoelace but it's really nice for I use it in weaving um, Grace has used it in macrame and we've uh, we have some uh, two two knit kits too where it's a pot holder knit kit and a table mat knit kit with this lanyard. It's really fun to work with. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting yarn. So you all process cotton as well as wool? Uh, well, our machines are for a longer staple length. So it's usually wool and alpaca. Um, but for the cotton, we work with, we purchase already spun cotton and then we'll use it in the lamb knitting machines. And it's organic cotton. I think it's grown in California, Grace? Yeah. 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 And then um, it's spun in Georgia. So we work closely with that mill. And then, so we'll use the cotton for the lamb knitting. And then Grace uh, can, can talk about this a little bit more. Uh, we also use it on our knitting machine upstairs. So there's a room upstairs. It's like a um, above the mill floor, a secondary production space that focuses on home good products and some clothing. So we in that space have a knitting machine. It's a computerized knitting machine where you can put uh, yarn on the top and feed the yarn through the machine and pair it with a computer program that has like a pattern programmed into it. Um, and so that's where we use cotton, any yarn that we're not spinning. So cotton, tencel, um, super fine wool that's like we can spin, but it takes us a really long time to kind of get raw fiber to that point. Um, and then some alpaca. So those things are knit into blankets or sometimes um, like scarves. So 
you can find those things on our website. Um, and we also have a couple of sewing machines in that space where we do some cut and sew if we find a really cool fabric or something like that. Or if there's a blanket that comes off of the knitting machine with a hole in it, since it's all knit in one piece, we don't waste any of that fabric and we try to cut and sew those into other products if it can't just be a blanket. Um, so we source the yarn as carefully as we can. And like Amalia said, that is a organic Supima cotton that's grown in California. Um, and it just so happens to also work on those shoelace machines downstairs. So we can make a knitting yarn, uh, hand knitting yarn out of it. Um, and then we also have one other cotton that we use that's a blend of 50% cotton, organic cotton and 50% katina. And that's spun by a different um, mill in North Carolina than the one that does the Supima cotton down in Georgia. Um, so a lot of kind of interesting little supply chain back back end kind of stuff that goes into all of it. Um, and thankfully those mills are still, still here, still producing. So we're able to buy that cotton from them. And it, it's a little different than the yarn that you would want to hand knit with. It doesn't have that same kind of stretch. It's very fine. Um, it's been waxed so that it can run through the knitting machine really well. Um, it, it's on a cone in, in usually like a pound or even two pound cones. Um, so it, somebody mm. might use it for a weaving project, but it's, mm -hmm. that's what yeah. I was thinking. It's, mm -hmm. I love using yeah. it for weaving. Yeah. It's not, it, it's, it's so fine. fine. Um, and it, it's pretty easy to break. So it's not a great warp thread. Um, but it is a pretty good weft thread. And sometimes Amalia will actually ply on her spinning frames downstairs several ends of it together to make a warp thread that's strong enough um, to weave with. So um, that's not something that we've brought to our website yet, but we definitely hope to. We're just still kind of experimenting with the right twist. It's in the works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love hearing about the process of creating yarns it's so interesting and so fascinating to hear about how things go from fiber to yarn and then the types of things that they can create do you all have any new projects that you'd like to share with our listeners um i have been working on just a farm yarn i guess we'll call it um where i'm using certain breeds of wool with um I have been purchasing it from some farms in North Carolina. So that's one yarn I'm very excited to start working on once we get back to work after <laughs> once everything goes back to normal, I guess. <laughs> um, and then in the sewing space, uh, we've been, um, we've been trying to work on more sustainable home goods. Um, and basics like tank tops and long johns and simple apparel that you might not necessarily want to knit <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, we do like to try to make a lot of what we wear, I think, as it does like an organization that's where a lot of our heads are at. Um, but you know, some things, it's just nice to find a sustainable source for, you know, from a company that you trust and, and enjoy and, 
we've managed to source some really cool fabrics. So um, we're excited to be turning those into home goods products um, and some some apparel. Um, so that's definitely like where my focus is at right now. Um, I feel like Amalia has done such an amazing job developing such a cool yarn collection that at this point she can't keep up with all the orders. <laughs> so I think we're like, uh, clearly we want to make m more product just like in terms of variety, but obviously at this point it's all about how we kind of scale up our production efforts to keep up with demand. Um, Amazing. And where can people go on social media and the internet to follow your work and to support some of your products? Uh, well, our website is www.echovienc.com. So E-C-H-O-V-I-E-W-N-C.com. The N-C is for North Carolina. Um, and then on um, Instagram, we are at Echo View Fiber Mill, um, and that's the same on Facebook and Pinterest, and uh, we're hoping through all of this kind of change um, in the world <laughs> to move some of our classes online. We have a classroom space at the mill that's no longer able to be utilized, and um, be hoping to kind of like get back to our YouTube channel. <laughs> hmm. So long ago. <laughs> like such a baby face in those videos. Like what the happened? That wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah. Grace and I did some YouTube. Well, I will definitely have to link some of those videos so that our listeners can <laughs> please don't <laughs> can see some. <laughs> innocent little babies i understand the feeling I mean, it's okay <laughs> um, so before you go we have one question that we ask everyone that joins the podcast and that is do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts who want to partake in the world of sustainability and fiber i think um just you know, really recognizing where you are sourcing your materials. If you just that like small purchase from, you know, a U.S. yarn or, you know, a local farm or um, that can make a really big difference in the sustainability aspect. Um, and just keep going, keep doing research they're out there. Every so, yeah. I would say the same thing um, to read and do research. And um, I read um, this book when I was in college. I think it's called um, Sustainability in Textiles. Um by Kate Fletcher and 
I feel like after reading that, I couldn't close my eyes to the world of sustainability and textiles anymore. It was like seeing the world in a totally different light or um, another, there's a documentary um, that the, the fashion revolution put out and it's like the cost. You have to, or, well, yeah, the true yeah, the cost. True the true cost, cost. Yeah. Um, oh, I love that. It's film. very eye opening. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's a, it's hard truths, but, um, I don't know. I think once you've seen it, it's kind of hard to go back. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And you just need to start where you can and, you know, kind of reevaluate not just like what you're making, like with your, on your loom or, or on your needles, but then, just like starting to let that not being afraid to let that bleed into the other aspects of your life because it's kind of a whole picture. Um, it's, it's not all or nothing, but it's, it is making like changes slowly, but surely. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'm so excited that you both decided to join us on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having us. That's a wrap. If you're interested in supporting Echo View Fiber Mill, you can find links to their website in the show notes at www.gistyarn.com slash episode 115. On next week's episode, I'm speaking with Cynthia Alberto, founder and director of The Weaving Hand, a weaving and healing arts center in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Cynthia has graced this podcast once before in episode 17, and I wanted to invite her back on the podcast to talk about how she cultivates a healing environment using weaving, especially at a time when I think we could all use some healing inspiration. I'm really excited to share that episode with you all. Stay tuned for next week, and until next time, happy weaving. Happy weaving.